if I go back to years, years in the past, you know, when there was a snowstorm closed us down for a day and there were, there was like a, there was one, you know, year, I remember it's like three years ago, there was, I don't know, we had like two boil water notices in the same few weeks, something crazy. And like, we'd have to close down for a day or for two days for whatever reason beyond our own choosing. Like, how are we ever going to, how are we going to do payroll? How are we ever going to, you know? Um, And that just seems so absurd now. This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where now, September 24th to the 26th, you're going to find a big 40% off all house-made sausages. And Zupan's has a huge variety of them. They are made in-house. They're exclusive recipes featuring both chicken and pork. You can grill them up and throw them on a bun, pair them with your favorite vegetables for a delicious sheet pan meal, or pair with your favorite pasta and sauce. Possibilities are endless with all the sausages they have. And also coming up in October, in the middle of the month, keep an eye out and subscribe to the news feed and you'll see exactly when there will be 20% off all Oregon Pinot Noirs at Zupan's. Not bad. Now, if uh, Pinot Noir is not your thing, but maybe, I don't know, Oktoberfest beer is, how about Farm to Market Oktoberfest? Uh, made in collaboration with Old Town Brewing, this Marzen-style lager features dark malt roast, little caramel sweetness in it, just in time for the fall, or maybe a October th- uh, Oktoberfest theme party that you might be going to, say, in October, like I am. I'm going to grab myself a, a six-pack. That sounds good. And also, don't forget, September is Oregon Cheese Month at Zupan, so jump in there and check out their awesome cheese selection. It is pretty incredible. And mm-hmm. there's always someone there you can consult with as well when if you need to have some cheese therapy. Also, at Zupan's, this is exciting. I have been seeing Kelly's Jelly at the, uh, at the uh, farmer's market for years. Well, they have teamed up with Zupan's to create some exclusive spreads created with fruit from the Willamette Valley, and they're available in strawberry, seedless raspberry, seedless marionberry, and boysenberry. So uh, try those. That's a, a, an exciting thing on toast or wherever else. Or if you want to marinate, I like those things. But uh, yeah, great fruit spreads from Kelly's Jelly at Zupan's. Very nice. Three locations to serve you. West Burnside, Lake Oswego, and McAdam. And always, uh, where can you find all this information, Chris? Oh, Zupans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again, it's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures, and I'm Court Johnson from Portland Radio, kink.fm. Thanks. How's the radio business, Court? It's going all right. You know, we're entering the uh, fall months, as in fact, today is the uh, first full day of fall. And, uh, you know, radio, it's the ebb and flow of radio because of the pandemic. It's not been a normal year, but uh, radio life is good. And that's good to hear. Yeah, can't complain. You know, it's the only radio station I ever listened to uh, when I moved to Portland back in 05 was kink.fm. Um, yeah. And so it's really awesome that I happened to uh, circle back and become friends with a key player at the radio station. Also interesting that I did the same with Craig at Ringside. Um, that was one of my father's favorite restaurants when he came out to Portland. And then... Yeah. Uh, 
you know, became friends with the people at Ringside and they're sponsoring our pod, blah, 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 podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, no. I got, I got to say, R- Ringside was kind of that, uh, you know, that favorite place of ours as well, and it's great to have them as a par- partner. And you know, kind of to your point, I, I feel pretty honored as a as a professional in, in radio to be able to work for a radio station that is now. I got to do the quick math here, uh, Chris. Fifty three, almost fifty four years old. Wow. Uh, whereas it has only, it's always just been kink. The format's kind of been, you know tweaked over the years but it's always been kink and that's that's pretty unique in the industry so well, they named it kink let me do the math here what was 53 years from now how what was it was uh, night it went on the air december 25th 1968 wow that's an interesting time to be naming it kink i wish i wish i could have been in those meetings to figure out what the call letters were going to be they, well, th- there was a lot of back and forth. Uh, at the time, it was co-owned by, we're going into something completely off subject today, but it was, it was co-owned, actually it was owned by the people who owned KGW here in town. Oh. And so for a, for a brief while, it was going to be KG, KGW FM. And then they bounced around on a couple of different ideas and, and they ultimately came up with kink. There's some rumors out there about what that actually had to do with the, for a short while. Uh, the tagline for the station was the underground link. And so you got the link kink. Um, right. But this was well before Chris, before kink uh, meant any, anything other than just a, a word named kink. It probably did to somebody like, you know, down sure. in San Francisco or something, but maybe, yeah. uh, who knows but uh but but you know that makes sense because if it was the link and all call letters on the west coast start with k that's that's that right maybe how they got there because of course i worked for a similar station for years wplr in new haven wplr mm-hmm. fm 99 rock and uh i was in sales and so if you're saying that kink started back in the late 60s when I got to the 90s with rock and roll, we had a really tough time selling people on the fact that it was pretty mainstream. Uh, a lot of the potential advertisers thought that it was just a lot of beer, it was for beer drinkers and young 18 year olds. Well, now the format is, uh, is older than the rest of the market, I would imagine. I'm not an expert on that, but, right. um, but, but Kink has kept up with the times, you know, it's not a classic rock station. Um, no, and we, and we we hear that often. And but we, uh, w- what's interesting though is there are people who have been with us from the beginning who have appreciated, um, you know, our attempts to to keep some connection to the past, but also recognize, you know, if if you're gonna be around, you've got to kind of make those adjustments. To, to stick around right especially in radio because there are podcasts and that brings us to this podcast which we should be talking about yes so just so our listeners know you and i beforehand don't sometimes we do but generally don't talk about what we're going to do in the intro other than the intro and so that conversation like many of them that we have and i really enjoy that honestly it comes out of left field the the kink conversation and I, I don't know if others do, but I kind of find it interesting. It has to do with Portland media history. So, um, yeah. and you, and you too. So sure. uh, I think everybody has a, I would like to think that everybody has an inherent interest in the hosts of the show, but more so we know they have interest in the guests. And so that's why this month, September of 2021 is 
is a powerhouse month. We're following up last week's interview with Kurt Huffman, which is always a great interview because he knows so much and educates us as to what's going on in the restaurant world and especially his chef's table world. Um, we're following that up with another powerhouse, Andrew Fortgang, um, who, as many people know, is a co-owner with Gabriel Rucker of Le Pigeon and uh, everyone's favorite now, well, Little Pigeon is, but also add to that list Canard, which has done very well. And, and Andrew in this interview talks about uh, Canard and how, when it started and why it started. And um, also we wanted to catch up with him because he's opening a retail wine shop after years of expertise in the wine business and having a lot of credibility. Uh, he's opening a wine shop uh, with his uh, partner Sergio and Gabe in the in the the pearl um in october and it's called floor so f-l-o-r and we'll talk about that name as well it's name day here let's talk about names um and um it's an interesting interview where we cover a lot and we also talk a lot about what happened over the last year and i find uh the, it very interesting when he mentions, relatively speaking, how traumatic it was a few years ago when they would have one snow day where they'd have to close, or, uh, or as he calls it, a boiling water day or two, and how tough that was and how they didn't think that how they were going to get through that. And then a year and a half, two years later, they're closing for months, and, and they figured that out. So, uh, yeah. Really interesting because as last week we talked about how you deal with such stress, having a lot of restaurants, and we continue that this week with Andrew. And uh, it's an interesting conversation, and he's always been a stand-up guy with me. You know, I have a lot of people that I've dealt with over the years in the Portland food world, and I know uh, he and his partner Gabriel are two people I really respect, and uh, and I'm so honored that they take the time out to do this in addition to some events we've done in the past or an event um, but to take time out to come on the podcast and i think it is uh, beneficial for all our listeners who by the way court what should they be doing right now liking and subscribing whether wherever you listen to our podcast uh, go ahead and uh, follow the the uh, the podcast that'll automatically download the weekly episode so you don't even have to think about it uh, you can leave us reviews, uh, good or bad. We'll take any of them because either way it helps. Yes. And, and you've heard that now that everybody's listening to a lot of podcasts, when we started this and asked people to do that, this was all new. Now you've heard that message from everybody on podcasts, YouTube, video people, like and subscribe. It does mean something. And uh, in, a, in an environment where people are listening to a ton of podcasts now, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, everyone doing that but we also appreciate anyone who's here listening right now to our inter interview with Andrew Fortgang. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. And by... Portland Food Adventures, 
Ready to break out and travel to some of the world's most delicious destinations? Portland Food Adventures has space available on two trips in 2022 to Basque Country in Spain with Chef Javier Canteras of Urdaneta. Also, if you've never experienced Italy with Austria Enzyme, join Chris for the most delicious nine days in Western Sicily imaginable. Info at portlandfoodadventures.com. Uh, so you're you're making the news. It's been hard to make news over the last year and a half, but <laughs> but you have to go out of your way to open a new business to do so nowadays. Um, let's talk a little bit about Floor, and then I would like to talk about your life over the last year and a half, and uh, sure. and what your your thoughts on the whole dining scene and some of the changes coming coming or in the process that are taking place now. But let's talk a little bit about Floor. Um, that's exciting that you're, you know, that's your passion. Or, or was it always your passion? When did wine become your passion? Or a passion? Uh, I, I think it probably going back uh, when I started um, working in the front of house in kind of a management type role back in, in New York, probably in 2001. Um, I wasn't directly in the wine, but this was, um, at the time, uh, this is at Gramercy Tavern, um, there wasn't, um, and, and a lot of restaurants didn't, there weren't like, there wasn't a team of sommeliers, you know, there wasn't people that just did the wine. It was expected that, you know, there was, the, the wine director was actually called the beverage director, he wasn't even called the wine director. Um, and... Um, a big part of his job was, sure, talking to people about wine when he was on the floor, but he was also, um, at this time in 2001, he was also the assistant general manager of the restaurant. Um, and a big part of his job was teaching um, the staff, you know, to talk about wine. And the idea was that if you wanted to be a captain um, in the restaurant, you had to be able to walk people through the wine list. And... At the time, I was a, a floor manager, and just because I was in a suit, not in a uniform, um, a lot of guests would sort of, they wanted to talk to a suit <laughs> to talk about wine. Um, and so I just ended up talking about wine a lot. And a few years later, um, I moved over to work. And it was, it was never like a direct part of my job, other than it was something that we always, I talked about and did. Um, but I wasn't sure working on the wine program there. And then I moved to another restaurant and um, kind of as a, as a manager and then just kind of took on like the assistant um, wine director role, um, you know, literally because the, the manager who had that was promoted to be the, the wine director. So I just filled in his shoes and started working on kind of the back end of the, the wine program, the, the, nut, the nuts and bolts, you know, the inventory and the, and the ordering and the packing and all the things. Um, and that's, you know, I would guess it's really started in 0203, and then it became, you know, really the, a core part of my job and my life in 2004, um, running a wine program in New York before moving out here. Um, and I was at Kraft. Um, so when you then, decided, I'm sorry, but when you decided you needed to talk because you were the suit, 
and you needed to be able to talk wine. How did you bone up? It's not something you can just decide, I'm going to talk about wine and then just go. You need to, you sure. need to educate yourself. Well, I mean, at the time at that, I mean, it's amazing if I think of the people that were working at that restaurant um, as managers or captains or front waiters um, at that time. And the, the wine director at the time was Paul Greco, who's known in the wine world pretty broadly, especially for his you know, ability to teach and get people excited. Um, the amount of people that, I mean, the whole place was like a little wine club amongst the employees. Like everyone was talking about wine, reading books about wine. We tasted a wine all together every day. Um, and you just sort of, you know, it, it was just sort of an immersive experience, you know. And uh, that's it. I mean, it, a lot of reading, a lot of talking, a lot of drinking. Um, you know, courses are great and classes are great, but, you know, when you live something, you know, and all the people around you are living it and, and really into it, it, it just builds on itself. You know, that knowledge builds and that comfort builds. And, and drinking is a way to educate yourself isn't a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah you know, it's like everyone, everyone makes, you know, choices what they do, you know, to, to earn a couple bucks. And, uh, you know, some of us pick, pick, pick fun things. <laughs> it's not our fault. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that. <laughs> so, uh, and you picked quite a few fun things along the way. So, uh, when you first hooked up and started at Le Pigeon, so your knowledge of wine was pretty broad at that point in time. Yeah. Um, from, you know, that was in the late summer, early fall of 07. And for the four years prior, I was, I was writing a wine list and, and running a wine program um, in New York and, uh, you know, was completely immersed in it. I was doing the teaching. I was, you know, doing all the selecting, um, doing all the tasting for, for you know, for the, for the selection. And so, you know, I'd already been, you know, I think now when I think about what I knew 14 years ago, you know, I feel like I didn't know anything, um, but I, <laughs> I guess I learned a few things by then. Um, you know, it, it's, it's like, I think wine is, wine is something that's always changing and there's always more to know. So, you know, you know, you can, I think the best people in wine are the ones that acknowledge how much more there is that they can learn. Well, I, it doesn't, you don't have to think very hard to think how much more you're going to learn in the next 14 years, right? For 14 years from now, it's not like you're just going to be sitting static doing I that. hope not. <laughs> well, I got to pack it in now because I, you know, I have to hope I can remember things as well in another 14 years. But well, I, that, I, won't, I won't be that old then. No, even if you are, you'll be able to balance it out with all the new wisdom that you do have. And so if you forget a certain percentage of it, listen, I'm dealing with that then you're okay. You can't beat yourself <laughs> over that. But, um, but so, at, so your roles at, uh, since in Portland at Le Pigeon and, and then um, Little Bird, mm -hmm. that didn't satisfy, I'm sure it satisfied you, but in terms of where you're going with Floor, at the time you thought there was something else that you wanted to accomplish or something else that could make it more whole for you? Um, you know, I don't know if, if, 
I don't know that I would say it's ever about not feeling whole or, you know, that something's missing. It's, it's more just, you know, getting excited about something and, and wanting to try and add it on, you know, um, it, it kind of, this kind of takes a left turn into talking about, um, the last year and a half or the last two years, but you can't really, when you try to like, look at, look at your life or, or what you're doing or what decisions you make, you can't, um, it's not in a vacuum, right? So like if, Little Bird was still around, you know, and Kennard was still around, like, maybe I wouldn't even be thinking about doing something else, you know, and a lot of the, you know, impetus for doing Floor, um, you know, some of it came from the pandemic when we're selling a ton of wine uh, retail through the restaurant, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so one thing couldn't have happened without the other. You know, it's all, it, it's all interrelated, and I think I've always like kind of liked the idea of, of a wine shop, you know, being around wine and working with it without, you know, a break from the hustle and the, and the bustle of, of restaurants, um, you know, you know, and, you know, like 30, you know, I, I, I can't see myself as someone that, you know, that is going to, you know, just going to want to retire and, you know, sit around all day, you know, and, you know, 30 years from now. But that's not in a vacuum either. No, no one wants, no one wants to see a 70 year old guy, like, you know, humping himself around a restaurant, you know, so, you know, (laughs) we'll have a nice, well-established wine shop by then. (laughs) That's a good plan. There's no doubt about that. But it also, it begs the question when, um, you're talking about getting a break from the restaurant. You're really not going to get a break because you're still going to be no. the importance of yeah. No, I mean, I don't. You're going to be doing everything, and then hope at some point have a plan to wind it down to. Well, I mean, the the thing the thing is one of the things that, and and I said you know, and, and you said we talk about the last year and a half later, um, but one of the things that has come out of the last year and a half for me is, and. Hey, calm, being calm and, and, and is, all, is all relative, but like not the first few months of the pandemic, but um, I'm definitely a much calmer, I'm just looking for an outlet, I'm a much calmer guy than I used to be. Um, the pandemic, you know, and just, uh, you know, inability to control what is going on and what's going to happen has, you know, made me a lot more calm about life and, and, um, being able to handle what, you know, the world is going on with my friends, with my family, with work, you know, what it has for me. So being able to approach starting another business, you know, or, you know, whatever else in the future, um, it's less scary than it used to be, um, you know, and um, it seems more doable. And I've also learned to rely more on others, um, you know, and really trying to um, build a build a great team and you know have great partners, and you know rely on them. 
And, so, and, and also your and, part, you know, you're leading a lot of those folks too. So did you ever, I talked to a guy by the name of Huffman about this last week, as a matter of fact, did you, so it's interesting that you're saying you've learned to be more calm in the face of adversity because a lot of people would shrink in, in during the last year, especially owning a couple of restaurants. Did you ever have any moments where you thought, we're not just, we're not going to get out of this? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's not, it's not like, you know, by the end of March of 2020, I had had this new Zen. I mean, that, right. <laughs> that took a while. And I, and I think, you know, calling my, you know, saying that I, I, I take a, a Zen approach to the world might be pushing it, um, but uh, pushing the bounds of truth. Um, but no, I mean, the first few months were, were really scary. I mean, I was, you know, I would look around and I'd, you know, go home, you know, I'd look at my kids and be like, how, how are we going to feed these guys? You know, <laughs> like there won't, there aren't going to be restaurants ever again. Um, you know, we were like at home, you know, we were trying to not like my wife, you know, she went full, you know, we went full like depression in our house, you know, we're like, you know, if we, you know, cooked meat, we saved the fat to use to confit the next thing and, you know, or don't, you know, saving all the peels to make stock. I see, I guess we're already thinking more like restaurant people, <laughs> Um, well, you know, it's good you have that ability but, to do that too. But you know, but we really didn't know, and um, you know, I started selling wine at that point because I just felt like I have to do anything, you know. And gosh, I spent hours upon hours upon hours of like trying to figure out like how much it would cost just to sit on the restaurants. How long could we afford to do that without any operation? What little bit could we do? How long could we keep? X amount of staff. How long could we have another bunch of staff? I mean, I was just really, I was losing it. Um, and, um, and were you in touch with Gabe throughout? I'm sure you were, but how was he yeah. throughout all, how was he throughout all of this? How did he handle it? Um, I think he, he was at the outset. I mean, I think he was, he was more able to just embrace the, well, there's nothing I can do about this right now. So, you know, I'm just going to, you know, do whatever I can and, and then just, you know, spend the time, you know, with my family, with his family or, you know, he was, he was much more accepting of, you know, what he could or couldn't do where I was just trying to figure out, you know, I, I was building spreadsheets, you know, that's your job. Yeah, but to figure out what we could do and why, and you know, none of most of those were completely useless and served no purpose other than they were. I I needed to feel like I I had some sort of forward movement or I was finding some solutions, um, something, um, you know, and and a lot of that was, <laughs> in some of it was useful, some of it was wasted time. I mean, when we started selling wines and doing the bird boxes, um, which was the bird box stuff was, was the mill to go that he was doing. Um, you know, that, that's when things started to feel like, all right, this, we can get through this. Um, you know, and then certainly, you know, when that first payroll protection plan thing came out, 
again, and it's like, okay, that'll help. We can get through this. Um, but no, I mean, for, for any amount of new calmness I have now, there was definitely the first six months of panic. Well, that's what, that's what it took to get there. And if you had told you or anyone really in the industry who had, you know, uh, restaurants that, hey, come March, you're just going to close and then have to figure this out and not know when you're going to be up and running again, I think everybody would have been generally freaked out and not even believe that we'd be sitting here talking in 2021 about where the restaurants are going to be, right? There was no, no. I mean, look, if, if I go back to years, years in the past, you know, when there was, you know, uh, you know, a snowstorm, you know, and it closed us down for a day. And there, okay. there was like a, there was, there was one, you know, yeah, I remember it's like three years ago, there was, I don't know, we had like two boil water notices in the same few weeks, something crazy, you know, and, and like we'd have to close down for a day or for two days for whatever reason beyond our own choosing, you know, it's like, how are we ever going to, how are we going to do payroll? How are we ever going to, you know, um, and that just seems so absurd now. It's you an insane perspective to think about. It was literally I, one day or two days. And yeah, and I, I mean, I go back, and I think maybe that 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 mark of accepting things better, or just not accepting, but just being able to to roll with the stuff, you know, beyond you know our control is, and maybe I could mark that moment to last. I don't remember when it was August or September when we had the the terrible smoke and the terrible air quality. Um, in Portland, and, and we, you know, we'd finally been up, you know, up and open at both restaurants last summer, you know, some point in the summer 20 with, like, really limited seating, um, and then we had, you know, we had to close for a few days because, you know, no one was going out, and it wasn't as uncomfortable to be working, and I just being like, oh, well, okay, we got to do it, so, we, you know, we're going to do it, you know, and that kind of struck me as not, you know, if you were to, in the middle of 2018, you said, you have to close for three days because it's smoky, you know, I would have lost my mind. <laughs> right. You know, but fast forward to, you know, late summer, early fall of 2020, you have to close for two days because it's smoky. Okay. <laughs> well, you've, okay. Swung the, you've absolutely swung the big bat now. And one of the things that I can, um, that I would say for aging that is a positive is the more adversity you live through, you can use that as a force to remain calm. And so you just had some major <laughs> forces. And uh, yeah, I'm way better at handling adversity than I was not even long ago, but I can, I can draw on the experience of, holy shit, I didn't think I was gonna get through that. And I did, and everything's way better now. So, in yeah, yeah. so that, I think that's gonna happen to a lot of people in the restaurant industry. Um, I hope so. I mean, that's a positive. That's a, you know, you got to look for positives to um, positives to come out of tough situations. So. I just saw, um, as a matter of fact, just a little anecdote. I just went down to Bend this weekend to see our friends uh, John and Renee Gorham and Garrett Peck with their pop-up for uh, mm -hmm. 
for their RBC that's going to open down there. And you know, a year ago, they were leaving town and it was a really, it was tragic. Everybody, the, those who loved them were really sad. And I'll tell you what, big smiles on their faces and they're living a calmer life now. So we're, we're a lot of people are getting through this um, and they'll see a better day, I think. So what about, what about the restaurants? What do you foresee? I'd like to talk a little bit about the industry because we've had you on specifically in the past to talk about wages and, you know, front of the house versus back of the house, tipping yeah. policies. And I'm still one. I think I'm a, one of the lone holdouts. You've tried it that would love to see no tipping policies at restaurants um, now. Mm -hmm. But uh, apparently that's not going to work. Um, but so what do you now is a chance. Everybody's been talking about changes in terms of how things are handled. Uh, within a restaurant, employees and so forth, um, uh, human relations, and then also all the economics. And if you guys had it tough enough going into the pandemic with small yeah. margins yeah. and trying to make a go of it, and now all of a sudden we're coming out of it and they're going to say, hey, you should be paying everybody more per hour. And how's that going to work? But, but don't charge me more for my uh, piece of halibut. Don't, exactly. don't think about doing that. Um, you know, it's really hard to say because I don't, you know, I think to a certain extent, you know, the, the, the restaurant industry is it's kind, of, it's kind of existing in this, like, netherworld, right? I mean, you have some restaurants that, you know, have people inside. You have some restaurants, in Portland anyway, I'm not going to talk, but we don't have to go more broadly than that um, right now for the sake of this conversation, but you have some places that are like, you know, still only outside. You have some places that, you know, are still focusing on takeout that were, you know, more in-house places before. You have almost no places are operating at the same amount of hours or meal services that they used to, right? Um, so... Nothing is fully back where it is, um, you know, and um, it's hard for people to find servers. It's hard for people to find cooks. It's hard, you know, there's, you know, I sometimes get, like, these group emails, you know, of, like, you know, you know or I know, like, we were a few weeks ago, like, went to three different cash and carries to find, like, to-go boxes. Not even for takeout, but just if people don't finish their food. Because um, there are all the, you know these shortages of you know and delays and, and all these different products, um, so it's hard to really comment on where things are. I mean, I, I think the thing that's most apt about what you said in that kind of sort of broad lead into the question is, um, you know, you have so many things at once. You know, you have this pandemic. You have, you know, you know, I think the the movement for social justice um, really pushed people to think more broadly about society, you know, and um, looking at, you know, employee and, you know, employee and, you know, kind of company relations and the interplay, you know, between employee and employers, you know, which is different, you know, obviously fairness is involved, it's different than 
social justice issues. Um, but then there's, you know, issues of, you know, minority representation in different aspects of the restaurant business. But all of this, you know, all of these larger issues of what's the right way to do things, what's the right way to keep guests safe, what's the right way to take care of your employees, is all within this crazy environment where um, you don't know, <laughs> you know, what the rules are governing how you operate. I mean, we can be pretty confident that we're not going to see, you know, more forced closures or our hours, you know, being limited. Um, but, you know, no one's completely sure. Um, the cost of food and foodstuffs and disposable things are higher than they used to be. It's hard to find people to work. So it's hard to be open for more hours to make the businesses more tenable, profitable, sustainable. And then when you, when you start to like factor in, you know, taking care of your employees, you know, you have to figure out, you know, how to pay them more, how to adjust tipping, you know, while you're competing, you know, so like you're competing for the best cooks you can find, you're competing for the best servers you can find. But if you're, you know, tipping is an attraction point for some parts of the workforce, <laughs> you know, and, and a frustration for others. So all this is going on at once. And a lot of, for a lot of restaurants, it's, restaurants are just trying to figure out how to get to the next point, right? Like, okay, we're going to get, you know, what's going to happen after the summer? What's going to happen when our outdoor seats don't, are not as attractive to sit in, you know? Um, you know, because what's going to happen when we have to move inside if we're not doing inside? What's going to happen if we have to seat more fully inside like we used to. Will people be comfortable with that? Will people still come? Um, it's crazy. And if business, you know, and, and here's the thing about, right, and I'm not, I'm not saying like, you know, a restaurant, like every, I, I think if you live as part of a society, like you have, you know, you have a personal responsibility to, uh, to do good deeds, to give charity personally, to do positive things as a business. But a restaurant, you know, at the end of the day, is it's a business. It's a, it's a, it's a money-making operation. And unlike, you know, a city or state government, well, I guess, you know, states have to balance their budget, unlike the federal government. But, like, you don't have the option... You know, you want to take care of your employees. You want to be there to fight, in a, you know, to the next, you know, it's like, okay, like the, the fall might be slower, but then, like, it'll pick up around the holidays, and then it'll be slower again, and we'll get to the summer, it'll be busier. But you have to get to all those points. Like, you don't have the, you know, you don't have, you say, well, I, I, I want to I wanna leave more, this is all hypothetical, I'm speaking for restaurants in general, but these are conversations that, I know we have, and I'm sure operators all over are having, well, I'd love to leave more space between seats. Or I'd love to 
pay this person more or that position more. But like, if, if we don't, you know, if we're not, if we're in the red, then we cease to exist and then nobody gets paid. <laughs> right. Nobody eats. Well, you know, and so, and it's, it's a funny, it's, I mean, I guess that's what I mean. I mean, I'm really like, you know, circling this. It's just, it's a funny time because everyone is looking at themselves and each other to try to do more and do better. But it's the hardest time it's ever been to do that. <laughs> yeah, and it changes daily. And, you know, in all that you just said, you alluded to it right up front, but then talked about some of the challenges without even getting to this, which is how much are people going to pay for that halibut? You know, yeah. consumers have been through the same, you know, hell, uh, some of them anyway, over yeah. the last year. So to ask, I've, I've experienced it just a little bit going out to eat in Portland. Um, and I don't think we've seen price rises yet uh, until you guys figure out exactly where you are. We're not, I think you're sort of a little bit leery of rising prices, but I did go to one meal that was felt like San Francisco or New York pricing in Portland all of a sudden. And for me and my budget, I thought this is not where I can be. This is not the old, this is not the Portland food scene that I can participate in very much. This is for tourists. And um, so there's that aspect too. You don't know how much you can take into account the cost of the rising cost of food and the rising cost of labor and decreased capacities at the same time. That's a big challenge. And I, I guess yeah. well, you, you, you answered the question and I think it was a good answer, which is, hey, Chris, we got to take this a step at a time. I can't tackle all of that right now, right? Is yeah, that and, 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 I, and I am. And I think that's the hard part I hear you know, there's a lot of people saying like, you know, you know, when you're, you know, when you're kind of rebuilding and starting things off again, you, and it's true, you do have opportunities to do things a little bit different, but, you know, it's, you know, it's scary and challenging to do something different. And, you know, people are, you know, people are leery of creating more challenge and difficulty for themselves. And I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, at this stage of the game, you want it to be as as it's nothing's easy. So you're not looking to put so, more mines in the minefield. Um, someone, you, re you know, someone reached out to me, you know, we are in, in this, you know, in this, you always get cold calls in this business. It's like, hey, try use our reservation system, not the one you're using. Use our POS system, not the one you're using, you know, and someone I know, I guess he started working for some different point of sale company said, hey, can I talk to you about switching your point of sale system? And I said, our point of sale system would have to shock, like painfully, every server and employee that touched it <laughs> for me to consider changing out our POS system anytime soon <laughs> and creating like that much change and you know, confusion and learning for everyone that works here, you know. It's, so, you know, it's like yeah, you, you want to take advantage of change when you can, but um, it can be exhausting from the top down, from the bottom up and the top down. 
Hey, Chris, let's pause just a moment and talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Yeah, where they've always had your safety in mind. Uh, of course, they have those beautiful updated booths and spent a lot of money on their ventilation system to update it to current standards and beyond. Um, so whether it's their delightful outdoor dining or inside, you can always enjoy Ringside Hospitality knowing their steps ahead when it comes to safely serving you a fantastic experience. And of course, Ringside always satisfies Chris. So if you've got something like, I don't know, A5 Wagyu, maybe that's your thing, you can come and enjoy it at Ringside Steakhouse. Yeah, so no matter what the size group, whether you're just going to go dine as a romantic evening with two, some friends and family with four, or if you'd like a setting for a small group gathering, Ringside, of course, can put that together for you too safely. Reservations are super easy to do. You just go to the Open Table app or ringsidesteakhouse.com, make that reservation, or you can actually walk in without a reservation for bar top seating. Yeah, Ringside for over 75 years. 75! And mm-hmm. it's all as the hallmark of great service and steaks in Portland. Well, so uh, so what are some of the larger challenges in opening a new place? You've got probably construction that's going to happen slowly, I would imagine, or already has been happening slowly. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the thing is... Clean slate. And, and you're not dealing with seats, which is nice, or cooking, yeah. which is nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was, I mean, it's not easy, um, you know, and there's any time you start almost any business, especially any business with a real physical presence and a, and a, you know, a, a service related business like a retail is, um, you know, but I was joking with, um, Sergio, my partner, I said, like, this is like a lot of the fun parts about, you know, opening a restaurant without some of the hardest parts of opening a restaurant. Um, you know, because it's like, when we open, we're going to have to hire, you know, one person, <laughs> not 30. Um, you know, we don't have, you know, we don't have to buy a whole bunch of, uh, no, there's nothing perishable, you know, other than the snacks we bring in for ourselves. <laughs> um, uh, you know, there's, there's an, uh, a side work to, to build or, you know, we don't have to do a, a friends and family dry run to see how service works. I mean, you can figure out how to, you know, ring people up on, on the fly. Um, you know, definitely like the, you know, the cost of building materials and, and, you know, some of the time it takes, I mean, we're pushing really hard to, you know, to be open before the holidays because that's kind of the, the best time to, sell well anything but wine especially you know you get to january and everyone is has their new year's resolutions <laughs> you know and the and their tighter wallets um maybe uh, not maybe not 2022 though they're just going to continue on let's hope we'll see we'll see i don't know <laughs> i don't know um but uh yeah i mean it's the i don't know I, and it's it's like any any new any new enterprises, you know, fraught with a little bit of uncertainty. Um, but, you know, I'm feeling, feeling good about it. We're feeling confident about it. Um, you know, and, and we hope it'll be a great addition to the, to the wine scene here. 
I would imagine, do you think there's anything lacking in the wine scene in terms of retail sales in Portland right now? Um, I don't think lacking. I mean, I, it's funny because it's like I've worked in the restaurant business my whole life, you know, right? And so you can, be, you can pick, let's not throw, you know, the last 18 months into it, but, you know, for the, the modern life of restaurants, you know, of the last 20 years, you know, would you look at, you know, Portland or San Francisco or Chicago or Seattle, you know, and say, oh, you're going to open a restaurant. Why are you open a restaurant? What's lacking? What is not being serviced that you open, yeah. to open a restaurant? It's like, no, you open a restaurant because you want to and you think you can, you know, have a unique voice um, and approach in terms of what you're going to do. And that, you know, there are enough people that will come visit your restaurant sometimes as well as the others. And that's the sort of the mentality that, you know, I bring to this. And, you know, I think the retail world, you know, doesn't really think that way, you know, because it's, you know, it's not like there's multiple, you know, wine shops opening every year, you know, as there are restaurants. You know, but that's how I see it. I you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, what we want to bring to it is creating a space that, you know, you want to spend time in, you know, that it's really pretty to be in, it's really comfortable to be in, you know, there's, you know, a place that to sit down and talk with me or, or Sergio or, you know, whoever's working for us, whether it's six months or a year or two years, kind of talk about what you want, talk about this, you know, and we'd love it if it's a place where, you know, when the middle of the afternoon, couple, you know, the same way as like going to a record store can be an activity. You know what I mean? We're trying to create floor wines to be, uh, it's an, you know, it's an activity. It's not like, yeah, for sure. We want people to come in, buy a bottle on their way somewhere. We love that. That's, that's going to be great. That's, <laughs> that's commerce. But we want it, you know, we want it the same way. It's like, you know, people go, you know, hopefully you can strike up a conversation um, with someone. Hopefully you can, like, try a wine or, or have a glass of wine while you're, while you're shopping and, and hanging around. I mean, that's kind of the, that's the voice that we want to add or the place that we want to add. And in my mind, I approach it like a restaurant. When I, you know, when, you know, like, Canard and Oteca Nostrana and OK Omens, right, all opened within a couple months of each other. Mm-hmm. And they I can tell you, other. what? They fed off each other. It was a good thing, I think. That was my Yeah, mistake. yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's the thing. It's like, and not for one second did, you know, any of us, well, I, I, I never, I never want to, like, try to pretend I, I'm in someone else's head. But I don't, it never, to me, and, I, and I'm pretty safe, you know, to say that, you know, to those guys, it was never like, you know, like, oh, we're all coming at it together and we're fighting for a piece of the same, you know, the same pie, you know, and that's the way I feel. It's like, you know, I, some people, you know, I'm not trying to like, we're not trying to like close down another, another wine shop. We're just, you know, take a little piece, you know, have a little piece of this, of the wine retail pie bring, you know, some people in that are excited about what we do and how we do it. 
you know, and we're not going to, the same way restaurants are different from each other, clothing stores are different from each other, wine stores are going to be different from each other, and, you know, I think some people will, you know, buy wine from a few different stores, you know, we just want a little piece of it, it's not, it's not about, you know, I guess business inherently is somewhat competitive, um, but, you know, the way I've, I've always looked at restaurants like if if you're if you're in the restaurant business and you're trying to succeed then just being better than this like restaurant x or restaurant y and that you got your eyes on them and you want to be better than them you want their customers you want to do what they're doing better than they are like you're that's, looking in the wrong you're you're setting yourself up to fail you know well, that's not you've the got, you've You've got to be just trying to do the best, make the do the best you can do at your vision, and that's that's what our that's what Sergio and my approach is going to be at floor. It's like we're just want to create the best experience. Like if you're buying shit from us online, it's you know just going to be easier to read, smooth to navigate. If you're coming in the store, you can figure out what you want on your own, really easy, or you can have a great experience talking to one of us or just taking it slow browsing around, you know, like that's, we just want to do what we do really well and that's going to speak for itself and that's going to, we're going to succeed or fail based on what we do, not based on what we're doing compared to other people. Well, that's, and that is the Portland way, by the way. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things that struck me early on is that everybody is generally supportive of everyone else and, and everybody lifts everybody. The, the, it's competitive insofar as that what everybody does is so excellent that in order to compete, you have to match or surpass the excellence that's out there. So I think that's, that is about the uh, benchmark for Portland competitiveness. But I asked the question because I'm an ad guy, and the first thing we would do with a client and a project was to talk about unique selling proposition. And so when I said what is lacking, probably that may not have been the right way to word it, but I'm going to humbly say that it's easier for me to say than for you. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying it was anything that is lacking, but the opportunity exists. The unique selling proposition is not necessarily... Well, hold on. It's not necessarily a wine shop that you can that you described, but it's that you and Sergio were there. This is much like if you know when somebody, some great chef in Portland, opens a new restaurant. That's that's a buzz, and it's going to do well. And it's yeah. not necessarily because they serve great lasagna. It's because so and so is making the lasagna, and I think that's the same with this. Your yeah, I mean, proposition is you and Sergio, right? I mean, but I think, you know, in our own way, I think we've earned that. And I don't mean just oh, because yes. of who we are, but like, you know, people have been trusting us with their wine selections in restaurants in this town for, for 15 years. So, you That's know. the support line on my creative proposition, the creative outline that I did for every client. That's the support. You've earned the trust and people have been, people know you and they trust you. Yeah, I think that's, that's, yeah, I mean, I don't. I didn't mean know, to interrupt you, but I, I guess I'm being. No, but no, but no, but that's, that's the hook. And I, and I, and I also think that, you know, the other thing that we really want to add to it. And it's like I said, it's, you know, it's, 
it feels more than just a store, you know, it feels like a place to spend some time, you know, and taste also, a little wine, walk around, talk about it. Right. It's not, it isn't just a store and it's in a nice location right up, uh, you know, Northwest. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and what is it? Gleason and uh, 23rd or 24th? No, Gleason and uh, off 9th. Off 9th? Yeah. That's interesting. I did a little Google search this morning. Okay, well, that's good. I'm glad you cor corrected me. I'm the only one that's going to need that information because we'll get <laughs> that, um, that specific change. But, uh, oh, that's cool. Um, and given that, uh, you know, we're recording this on September 21st, mm -hmm. um, you, you alluded to before, people don't necessarily know who's open, when they're open, how they're open. Why don't you run through... Um, you know, first of all, Flora slated for, and by the way, Flora, I looked up. Why don't you talk a little bit about the derivation of the name? And then we'll, I want to go to going through Canard, Le Pigeon, and Flora and talk about, uh, you know, how people, when people can find you and where online and on Instagram okay. and all those good things. All right. Okay. So the name, and it's actually Sergio came up with it. Um, and uh, I don't think I've come up with any of the names for any of the businesses or <laughs> any of the names I came up with uh, ever were the ones that we went with. Um, but Floor, um, uh, you know, F-L-O-R um, in Spanish is flower. Um, you can't have grapes without the, <laughs> the grapevines flowering. Um, uh, and... Uh, uh, it's for Sergio also, he's, he's Mexican, um, and, you know, he liked bringing in, you know, Spanish to it. Uh, Flor also, for the wine geeks out there, is uh, uh, in, in Jerez, um, you know, you can share it in, you know, in, in southwest um, Spain. It's the layer of kind of dead cells that form on top of the wine. Um, so when you have a fino sherry that's, you know, clear like a white wine, it's because it's not that layer of, they call it the floor, that layer of cells is protecting the wine and keeping it from aging oxidatively and turning color. So it's a wine term. And then, you know, we also kind of uh, phonetically, it's floor in English, you know, that's what you talk about in a restaurant, you know, say you're on the floor. And so for us is kind of, you know, him historically a restaurant person, me con continuing to be a restaurant person, you know, it's kind of like, you know, being on the floor, being there, being present, um, which has always been a big part of, of our lives, um, you know, and it kind of brought all that stuff together, you know, and, and a lot of that is, is, is for us. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> most people aren't coming to the shop and saying, well, what's this name for? Or, or like, this name just feels good to me. You know, and a name is a name a, a lot of times. Uh, but to us, it has a lot of, a lot of meaning. Um, I think it's nice to have that instilled into it. You, I only know yeah, it, has, it, has a, it has a number of meanings, um, right. you know, for us. And, and so, uh, you know, that feels good. Yeah, I think that's, you know, when you're coming up with a name, if you can come up with three reasons to go with the name and it's a pleasant name, then, then why not? We're going to know 
that you'll finally have uh, broken through when we see some business that goes out there named Fort Gang. Then it's then that's the one you will. <laughs> I don't know if that's a ring to it. The same way, right? No, but I I just want you to win one. It's, uh, you said so far you haven't had one, but it's not about winning and losing. I understand that. No. So uh, talk a little bit about um, what's going on um, on Burnside over there. And sure. Yeah. You're open. Uh, so Le Pigeon is open Tuesdays through Saturday, um, five days a week um, before the pandemic, seven days. Um, and we have moved to uh, an entirely tasting menu model, um, which actually, you know, was, you know, Le Pigeon has always been very organic in how it's evolved, you know, in its 15 years of, of existence. Congratulations uh, on that. Not many restaurants. <laughs> thank you. Um, and, you know, it's like started with, you know, the mix and match chairs because a mix and match plates and mix and match silverware because it was, you know, all on a shoestring and Gabe cooking, you know, lamb neck and, you know, liver and this, not foie gras, but like, you know, other stuff, you know, and beef cheek because it was, you know, inexpensive to start with. Um, and it's really kind of evolved over time, you know, so we still use the mix and match silver and the bread and butter plates because it kind of, is it's part of who we are and it's it's part of our identity, you know. But it's you know proper stemware and God, we've changed out our plates numerous times over the years, and you know we've changed out our chairs and our tables over the years. And it used to be communal seating, and now it's well, I, I don't know, communal seating might be dead forever. But you know, a few years ago that stopped, and you know with the tasting menus, you know. At some point, a number of years ago, we, we just had more and more people asking for them. And so we would do them on request, but they were on the menu. And then we put them on the menu, you know, and uh, we would go ahead and order them. And, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, we had nights where 70% of the dining room was having a taste of And um, when... So everything has always moved more towards finer dining, um, you know, fewer covers, you know, longer, you know, more time in the restaurant uh, for the guests, that is. Um, it's, it's, that's just always been the, the slow direction that we've moved in. When we were open last summer for like, you know, July or August to November, uh, you know, we had literally four tables in the restaurant. Mm. Four parties at a time. That's and so we, so we did only tasting menus, and we had two cooks and two servers, and that was it, because that was the only way to make the math work. Right. Um, and then as we reopened again, I think this past May, and, you know, have slowly added, you know, a few more seats um, over that last uh, five, six months, five months, I guess. Um, we just kept with the tasting menu format, and, um, you know, it's been really positive and, you know, we're not reservations are you guys pretty, are you far out for reservations? Yeah, thankfully, um, you know, we've been, we've been booked, you know, pretty far out for reservations. You know, we have fewer seats than we used to. You know, there are probably some people that are less, are not interested to come anymore because we're only doing the tasting menus, but we have, there's plenty enough people that want to come mm -hmm. to do the tasting menus that were full. 
And it's actually been really fun because it's, it's, we're cooking the, not that, <laughs> it'd be a stretch to say that Dave was ever cooking the food he didn't want to be cooking. I, I get it. Yeah. But, you know, if you're cooking a dish that is meant to be an appetizer, or, or more so if you're cooking something that's meant to be the main course, it's like, yeah, it didn't have to be meat and two veg, right? But it had to have, like, this, a central protein and then enough stuff that it was filling, that it was that, you know, appetizer, main course, dessert, fill you up in that framework, have that on the plate. Where now, um, you know, it's, it's kind of free from that. So it's more, it's like, you just have to have the right progression of dishes and fill you up over the course of five or six courses. And it allows each dish to really be the dish it wants to be. You know, it allows us to, you know, we don't have like, you know, so you see some menus with supplement for this. And so, you know, it's like you can add a six course. You can add an extra course with the supplement. Other than that, there's no supplement. Like we want to put black truffles on it. We put black truffles on it. We want, you know what I mean? And, and it frees us to that. And it's been amazing with the wine because, you know, the, the whole focus of the wine by the glass list isn't, you know, checking off crisp white, rich, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to pick the wines that go with these dishes add, you know, you know, a rosé and a Pinot Noir, and that's our wine by the glass program. You know, and it's so, and it's laser focused on the food. So well, we've had a, a little, an analogy would be the music business where in the old days, you know, uh, bands put together an album and they had the progression of songs the way they wanted them. They never planned on anybody pulling out one and playing playlists. Mm -hmm. And kinda, you got the same thing now. It's meant to be the way Chef wants it versus yep. everybody picking their own thing and, and listening to songs in a vacuum. And selfishly, you know, for everyone working, I mean, it's great because you have this great audience. You know, people by and large are people who don't really want to eat. They're not going to just go to you because, you know, you can read on, you can visit a town and read, oh, this is the number one, the number two, the number three restaurant. These, those are the three I'm going to go to. But people won't. That's okay. They, people don't want to spend, so people don't want to eat a tasting menu just to check a restaurant off a list, you know, by and large. So we have this amazing group of diners, not that we didn't love our diners before, but it's this amazing group of people because everyone's fucking stoked to be there. Everyone's there to awesome be point. there. I never thought of it that way, that the people you know? that could often do the Instagram probably are there for a dish or two, but they're not, yeah. that's not necessarily the objective. Yeah, that's a, that's, a big, that's a big time and stomach-filling commitment to just check something off the list. Right. So it, it's been it's been really positive, and and we've we've been having sort of a lot of a lot of fun with that. And at Canards, I mean, Canards been it's been great. Um, uh, we built kind of one of those outdoor areas uh, around the corner on Eighth Avenue, kind of like out in the in the in the parking spaces, you know, a whole wood construction thing. Mm -hmm. And we just we just you know, extended the uh, the roof a little bit so that the servers can, now that it's rainy season, they can walk along it without, you know, on the edge of it without getting wet or the food getting wet. 
and kind of, you know, winterize the sides a little bit so it's a little more comfortable. Um, and then we have the inside too. And, you know, between the outside and the inside, we're able to um, have the same amount except for even a few more seats than before, mm-hmm. but also giving people a little more room than before. Um, you know, I think we've seen a change. You know, we have more people coming in. You know, before Canard, you know, we had some people coming in for drinks, some people coming in for snacks, some people coming in for a full meal. Uh, I think there's a little bit more higher percentage of people coming in for a full meal, um, you know, which is, which is great. Um, you know, I don't think we're really in the world yet of, you know, it used to be like on a Saturday night, you know, pre-pandemic, you had every spot that was a seat and you had people just standing and drinking. Um, I don't think we're in the world yet of like people eating and too deep drinking behind them. Um, I miss that energy. Um, you know, and I, I look forward to the day that like we can get back to that in here because that's just like a great vibe. Um, but, you know, we're, you know, people are eating our food and filling our, you know, filling our seats pretty well. And, um, you know, Canard's always had the much bigger wine list than it has any business having. And, um, you know, people are coming in and we're selling the fun bottles and, um, you know, popping corks. And so, I mean, I, I feel really, we feel really privileged um, and thankful, you know, and blessed. Um, you know, I, I couldn't imagine where, you know, from 12 months ago to now, I'd be able to, I would have been able to say that, you know, and, and I think you make, you know, you, uh, there's some old saying like hard work, hard work makes luck or, you know, something, something to that effect. And, um, you know, I think everything in life is a, you know, some percent lot some percent happenstance but you know um things here are going well canard oh just to answer your fact questions or 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 logistic questions is right now open wednesday through sunday and we're going to be adding tuesday next month in the middle of the month okay so so depending on six days a week but just but just dinner um you know we don't really feel like the the lunch uh, our breakfast business is, co- is coming back yet. And I think that also becomes very hard to staff because when you have a shortage, not a shortage, but when you have, you know, when everyone in town is trying to find uh, employees, you know, lunch is never as um, profitable a shift to work as dinner. Uh, yeah, no, I, that is uh, definitely the case. And I have to say, it's just nice to hear prep going on at Canard. A year ago, you may not have known that there was going to be some prep going on at the restaurant. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So that is awesome. Um, one quick question, two things. Um, I think people would know it's right. It's Le Pigeon PDX or is it Canard PDX? Is everything? It whatever? is. Le, sure, Le, Le Pigeon's email is at LePigeon, or sorry, LePigeon.com, um, and uh, just 
the Outlet Pigeon for Instagram. Canards is canardpdx.com uh, and at canardpdx. And then floor is uh, floorwines.com, all one word, or at floorwines, (laughs) Instagram. Great. I have one last question, and I really appreciate the time you've taken, but I I always feel like if I didn't ask this, I'd think, oh, I should have asked something about that. You're on West Burnside. Of course, there's been a lot of shit going on in the streets, and I mean to call, I don't know what's been going on where you are, but just your take as a as a prominent Portland business owner of where Portland is and where you hope it will go and whether you think we'll get there sooner rather than later? Uh, I mean, we, we haven't, um, there have not been, I mean, if kind of you're referring to like, um, you know, the protests or, you know, the boarded up windows and stuff, that has not, like right on our little kind of strip of Burnside been a a major thing. I mean, some of the shops, I think, preemptively were, were boarded up. Um, but we we never did and it hasn't, you know, it, we like, you know, we're going back months, but there, there hasn't been a lot of protests around, right around us. Not so much uh, the protests, but the vandalism and the, you know, worrying about oh, yeah, sure, sure. going to eat. Uh, vandalism wise, I mean, yeah, they're like the vandalism. Only the real vandalism that we we did have a window broken, but that was back last spring. Um, and we actually talked to someone who was there when it happened, you know, and whoever did it, like a bunch of people were like circled them and were yelling at them. We're like, someone was yelling. It's like it's not a Starbucks. It's just an independent business. Anyway, um, but uh, uh, the only vandalism we personally have had has been like graffiti um, and stuff like that. Um, but then the, the centrally side, um, commission group, you know, which is a partnership with the city. I mean, they come and take it down really fast. Um, you have a group that does that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's the centrally side, um, I think development, no, not development, central east side, CEIC. Anyway, I, sorry to them for encouraging to hear that someone's taking care of that. Uh, Central East Side together. Anyway, um, you know, my, my concern for the city at large is, uh, I mean, it's twofold, you know, it's like, you know, look, in, in the, I don't think in any city is the coolest neighborhood, like the business downtown corridor. It's not where the hippest stuff is. It's not where like the most fun stuff is. But, like, it's a necessary component of every city, you know, that central core where people come in, where people work, where there's shops, where there's restaurants, where there's hotels, where tourists come and stay. Um, and, you know, I, I, I want to see that come back, you know, even if I'm not hanging out there all the time, um, you know, people to go back to their offices and, um, you know, fill those restaurants and small businesses and stores and create that core, right? I mean, what's a city? I mean, a city is a city because millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people are living within proximity to each other. The benefits being, you know, the, the, the music and the art and the movies and the rest, you know, all that stuff. But like, it needs to have a gravitational pull so the rest of the stuff can orbit around it. 
so uh, I'm concerned if, 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 if downtown doesn't uh, come back. And I think some of that is really incumbent on, on, you know, city government to, you know, to clean it up, um, you know, keep the graffiti down, you know, not, you know, I, I think there, you know, there has to be a solution, you know, where there are not tents everywhere. Because what, is the, what is their role if not for that? <laughs> That's what I keep asking. What are what? they doing? I said, what is their role? What is city government's role if not to, for well, other, anything I mean, other than I to bring downtown back? I think there's too much, you know, it's like, I don't work in government. And I understand that there's a lot of like steps <laughs> to everything, yeah, no, you know, both, both legal and this, but it's like, you know, it's like, you know, they talk about, you know, identifying and and designating and building like the safe the sleeping sites, you know, spread out around town. Like, get it done. You know, you can't, you know, you're not going to have businesses bring their people back to their offices. You're not going to have tourism and you're not, you know, you're not, it's going to long term, you know, really hurt the city. There has to be, you know, there have to be not just solutions thought of, there have to be solutions implemented. And they have to be compassionate, but they have to be realistic, too. Yeah. Um, and and it's very on. easy to, it's very easy, you know, for me or anyone else to sit on the sidelines, you know, and say that. I mean, the implementation of all that is, you know, incredibly hard. It's like, hey, I sling food and wine, <laughs> you know. I don't pretend to be an expert in urban planning, you know, uh, or you know, or social service providing, but um, but people were elected to do that, so that's people the, were elected to do it, and the current situation seems somewhat untenable in the long term. Right. You know, I mean, what I know at Littlebird, we had a hard time, and there are times where we had someone, you know, sitting with all their belongings right in front of the front door, and we were told it's like, oh, well, they're they, you know, they're, you know, they're not in front of your door, they're closer to the street, we can't make them move, or we can't, you know what I mean, you can ask them to go, but we that's can't make them, and it's like, all that might, you know, it's like, but that's a tough situation, you know, I, I'm not getting into the right, the wrong, the, you know, this or that, but, you know, people are scared to come by or walk in, I mean, that's, that doesn't work, and is that fair to everybody else? I don't mean the business. I mean, I mean the people walking around town. If people feel un, unsafe or uncomfortable in, in certain places, you know, that's, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's a, it's a whole thing. Is it's a very, it's very tricky, you know, and it's um, because you can't, you can't just take a whole bunch of people and say you can't be here with no alternative, you know, that's not right. But, well, you, but you also can't, you can't just throw up your hands and say, well, you know, this isn't, now you're, you're saying this, this street or this area is not for the, it's for these hundred people, not for the under 400,000 or 500,000 <laughs> residents of Portland. Well, I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. 
I just went to New York and all I could think is I was in Brooklyn. I didn't see one tent. I was in the parks. I didn't see one tent. I didn't see one person sleeping outside. And in the subway stations or the transit stations, there were actually signs that said, don't even, pretty much, I don't, I can't quote them verbatim, but don't even think of sitting here. And there were cops nearby. So yeah, no. it can be done. Oh, yeah. But at any rate, I, I'm not asking for you to solve that. I just, uh, I'd love and I, hey, I like, you know, I don't know. I, I play politics a little bit. I never want to offend too much. Right. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> you can't even say, you know, it's one of the things Portland people not generally, coming from the East Coast, I saw people de generally didn't speak their opinion on a lot of matters. And especially in the last year, there are a lot of eggshells out there, and I understand it. So I didn't mean to put you in that position. I would imagine in the last year, once or twice, you thought to yourself, thank God we don't have Little Bird to deal with right now. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, look, it, it hurt a lot to close that place. Um, I mean, emotionally, amongst everything else, but like, wow, to, to be, you know, I mean, just from the emotional part of having 50 fewer people look at me and, you know, go like, hey, Dad, now what? <laughs> well, not only that, you were in the middle of forget it. Nothing, you can't even do any, you couldn't no, have but I did, anything down there. But, you know, and, and yeah, to be trying to come out of it with no office workers, fewer tourists, I mean, yeah, holy kit, you know, like, holy shit. <laughs> like, yeah, so there's your silver lining. I know it had to be painful closing Little Bird, but in the long run, you look back on it now and think that was one less thing to... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right, yeah, well, listen, true. thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's way more time than I wanted to ask of you, so I, I owe you 20 minutes or a half hour in some fashion. Right, I'll, I'll figure out a way to take you up on that. Thank I'll, you, Chris. I'll come in and, uh, and buy some wine and waste your time talking. It won't be a waste of your time. No, that's, 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 that's what we're there for. Uh, we'll be there for. Best of luck to you and Sergio on that and all your other endeavors. And, um, and please say hi to uh, my friend Gabriel as well. Appreciate it. I will. Thank you, Chris. Okay. Have Thank a great you. one. Okay, bye-bye. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right